Let's just take it from the top. You are listening to Night Vision. Hello and welcome to Night Vision, a multi-platform audio magazine presented by the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus, designed to enrich, enlighten, educate, and entertain. Welcome back to Season 3 of Night Vision. I'm your host, Bob Zielinski. As we continue our deep dive into the seven corporal works of mercy, we look at how the Knights of Columbus is making an impact when it comes to visiting the sick. Coming up, I sit down with fellow knight and Dr. Tom Ryan. Tom shares his firsthand experience in running council blood drives and reveals how simply listening to the concerns of his patients impacts their outlook on the situation and oftentimes aids him in developing a diagnosis. But first, Night Vision heads to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I had the chance to catch up with our state chaplain at the 121st annual meeting of the Indiana Knights of Columbus. All right, welcome back to the show. And this is really an interesting part of the show because we're not actually in the studio. We're in uh, Fort Wayne, just finishing up the 121st annual convention uh, meeting of the Indiana jurisdiction of the Knights of Columbus on uh, this edition of Night Vision. We've been talking about all season. We've been discussing the seven corporal works of mercy. And today we are discussing visiting the sick as one of those corporal works of mercy. And joining me now is, uh, he's no stranger to the show, is Father uh, Mick Coble. Father, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. When we look at visiting the sick, it, a lot of people I know find it actually find it difficult. It's awkward. I don't know what to say when I walk in the room. How do I, you know, how do I approach it? But I mean, it's a very important ministry within the church. Yeah, you know, when when, we're, when Christ is calling us to visit the sick, He's not calling us to heal the sick. He's not calling us to fix all their problems. He's just calling us to be in their presence to spend some time with them, to bring them some comfort, some consolation, to let them know people care. One of the biggest things I, that I'm always aware of is that the people who are homebound, especially those who are sick and are homebound, the only person they ever see usually is the caregiver that they see all the time and the person who's coming to either put things in them or take things out of them. Um, it's, they, they don't really get a lot of visitors. And so sometimes they're just happy to have somebody there who isn't there for anything other than just to want to spend some time with them. One of the blessings that we have in the parishes I've served at is a ministry of care. A ministry of care is what we call it. These are people who go to visit the homebound. They bring the Eucharist, of course. They bring the parish bulletin. But I've instructed all of them that just almost as important as bringing the Eucharist is the idea of just spending time with the person. And so this is one of the reasons why we've done this. And we've gone away from family members bringing the Eucharist to their family members that are homebound. Because when the family member goes, they go in the context of a relationship that they don't always come first and foremost, to serve. Um, and so when we send a minister of care who is not a family member, the only reason they're going is to care for that person who's sick. So they bring them to the Eucharist, they pray with them, but then they also just talk to them about what's going on. They're there completely for that person. And the people who do this ministry, they just absolutely love it. They build relationships. And sometimes they visit these people for years. And if they go every Sunday or every Monday or whatever day they go, and they bring them to the Eucharist and they just spend some time with them. And there's real relationships. And when the person, very often has happens, passes away, guess who the first person is that comes to that funeral? The person who brought him communion for all those years. They've really developed a bond. And I, and I think that not only does that person, of course, receive the blessing of the ministry from this minister, but that minister of care 
feels like they really are bringing the presence of Christ to that person. Not just sacramentally, which is, of course, the most important, but just Christ being there through the ministry of this person. I think one of the interesting thing, the things that I run into when I talk to people who are who participate in this ministry is at first it, it, they find it to be very difficult because it's awkward, I don't know what to say. And I tell them, just be honest. Yeah. You can walk in the room and say, I'm here to, I just want to, I want, this is my first time, I don't know what to say. And it's okay to say, I don't know what to say, but I want to let you know that I'm here to support you and to pray for you. I've had that experience in my first assignment when I was associate pastor. I was asked every other week to go to a nursing home and celebrate Mass. And every time when I would go, I think, okay, I'm going to have to go in there. We're having, in this, we're having Mass in this dining room. The staff probably hasn't cleaned it up. It's, it, I have to wash the tables first. It's, it's uncomfortable. There's people there who don't know who I am, what I'm doing there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to sometimes see people suffering. Uh, people who are lonely, so they're emotionally suffering or they're psychologically or physically suffering, and it's hard. So I'd go in, I'd celebrate Mass, I'd go in and make rounds to the people who couldn't come to the Mass, bring them to the Eucharist, sit and talk with them for a few minutes. I'm going to tell you, every single time for those four years that I left, I was so glad that I went. There was, but then the next time I'd be worried, that, why am I going there again, it's going to be uncomfortable, and then I'd be so glad I went. There was so much fulfillment in just spending some time with people uh, and people just being happy to see somebody who wanted to spend some time with them, even if it was me, they just—they <laughs> were just happy to have somebody come visit them and bring Christ's presence to them. And I felt so good every single time I left that I had gone again on that Friday to do Mass for the folks. And I think sometimes people feel pressure, like, I have to go in and do something miraculous. I have to, I'm not there to cure you. I'm there to pray with you, to talk with you, to listen. When we uh, celebrate the um, sacrament of the anointing of the sick, even for people who aren't homebound, but just caring for them as they're preparing for surgeries or they're getting a new diagnosis and they're, and they're scared. And one of the things I always do is I always try to make sure there are other parishioners around when we offer the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. So that way they know it's not just me as the priest representing Christ that cares about what they're going through. Their community of faith cares about what they're going through. And I've seen some people really touched, and they've told me so, Father, it was so great to see that so-and-so prayed with me. We didn't even know who they were, but they were, we're so glad they prayed with us. It helped us know that we were not alone. Our parish cares for us and wants to provide for us and help us through these difficult times. I've also seen where, you know, Bob and Sally Sue come in and pray with me as I'm anointing Thomas, and then Bob is sick. And now there's another couple that are praying with him, and he's remembering how he prayed with that other couple. This is building a whole network of people who care about each other and support each other. The other thing that's interesting is when we, when we pray the rite of the anointing of the sick, in the final prayer, we say something to the effect of, may God be with them so that when they're scared, they'll be, they'll be strengthened. When they feel alone, they will know that God's holy people are with them. When they feel dejected, they'll have hope. We pray this prayer in the sacrament of the anointing of the sick every time because we want people to know that it's not just the physical healing that Christ might affect through the sacrament, and certainly I've seen that happen in some miraculous ways, but I've also seen people emotionally and spiritually find comfort and peace because of the sacrament and knowing that the Christian community is praying for them. And clearly there have been challenges because of restrictions and COVID and all of that other stuff. Are you seeing, are they, do you know, are those restrictions lifting or if they can't make it let's say they can't go to the hospital or their nursing home 
doing prayer services or, or something in the parish? So during COVID, there was a lot of very interesting and creative things we had to do. Um, I've heard of situations where people were visiting somebody, they did it through the window uh, because they couldn't, they weren't allowed in the house, they weren't allowed in the nursing home. So the, the, the person had the window open and they talked through the screen um, because there was restrictions for everybody's health. And so I'm not knocking the restrictions, but um, so there was some very creative things we had to do. There was, I remember going into a, a hospital with somebody who had COVID and having to put on all the, the protective gear to make sure that I wasn't harming them or they weren't harming me. Um, so there was a lot of that. Was, we weren't allowed to carry our ritual books in. We had to make photocopies of the ritual book and leave the sheet in the room. So that way we weren't taking something possibly contaminated out with us. Because this was the very beginning. We really didn't know how it was being sure, transmitted. Sure, right, right. And so there was a little there was a little bit of overkill. So that a lot of that has gone away now. We still have to take be, be careful. We still have to take precautions. Um, but that's, that's what we should normally be doing anyways. We want to make sure that we don't bring something contagious to the people we're ministering to. We also don't want to have to receive anything that they would be maybe contagious with. And so there's still good precautions that are just normal precautions. But most of the... Um, the, uh, the big careful things we had to do during the beginning stages of COVID have really waned now. And my final, my final question is, uh, sometimes people, I, I hate to say this, sometimes people will, will participate in a ministry because to a certain degree as human creatures, what's in it, you know, what's in it for me? I mean, what, what, so, but we were talking, you do walk away with something if you're yeah. the one who's, who's part of that ministry. So there, I, I've heard stories of people that are similar to that, where this, where somebody says to me, um, you know, I, it's because somebody cared for me when I was sick that I want to give back. That's a very common thing to hear. Um, and so there is something for them. There's a sense that it, I want to show my gratitude for what I received by giving to others. And so there is something in it for them. There's a, a chance to work out their gratitude. For all of us, what's the, what's the one commandment Christ gave us more than any other commandment? Love one another. What does he mean by that? He means serving each other to the abilities that God has given us. And so the people that I have, for example, who are helping me with the ministry of care to the sick and homebound, these are people who say, this is one of the ways I want to exercise my vocation, my calling from Christ to love, to help people in need in ways that God has given me the ability to do so. Not everybody can do this. Some people would be very emotionally distraught over it. Some people don't have the physical time to do it. They don't have the wherewithal. But the people who do this ministry very often are people who are saying, I know it's about me extending Christ's love in the way that God has gifted me. And so I want to live that out. I want to do this ministry because either A, I received it or my family member received it or whoever, and it touched my heart. And I know this is a way that I can give back as Christ has given to me. And certainly uh, this is a very important ministry, especially with what has been happening in the last several years. Father Mick, I appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us today. It was my pleasure, Bob. God blessings to you and all of our listeners. As we continue our dialogue this season, focused on the seven corporal works of mercy, I sat down with Dr. and Brother Knight Tom Ryan to talk about KFC blood drives and more. Joining us now as we continue our dialogue this uh, season, focused on the seven corporal works of mercy, is Brother Knight and physician Tom Ryan. Tom, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. Very honored to be on. Uh, now, before we get started, give us a little bit of history. How long have you been a knight? A little bit about your council. Just a little background. 
Sure. Uh, I've, uh, uh, I'm a member, a proud member of Council 451, uh, sponsored by St. Charles Parish in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, I've been a knight since 2016 uh, when I was uh, recruited, uh, somewhat late in life, uh, and uh, proud to have served in every capacity uh, uh, through working my way through the ranks. And I was Grand Knight, uh, uh, finished my two-year term last year. I'm proud to say that uh, uh, Council 451 has got Star Council four out of the past six years, and we're hoping for another Star Council year uh, this year, 2021-2022. That's very impressive. Every time I talk to your uh, district deputy, uh, Ed Waldschmidt, uh, he always reminds me, always, you know, 451 Star Council again. So that's, uh, yes, I said, yes, Ed, Ed, I'm, I guess I know. I know it. I'm sure you'll tell me again, but I know that, yeah, you guys are Star Council. So no, that's, uh, that, that's very impressive. And there are a lot of ministries that the Knights of Columbus uh, councils are involved in. And perhaps one of the most important and one of, uh, uh, that you've been very successful at is, um, is blood drive. So well, how do you explain your incredible success and what goes into what you do as far as your blood drives go? Well, I think for, first of all, it's it's like the the good quarterback who who wins the game. He gives all credit to the to the Lord above, and that's what I'm certainly going to do, uh, because uh, blood drive and and also to the extreme generosity of the uh, parishioners of St. Charles Parish and the gener general generosity of many people in Fort Wayne who have come to, to our blood drive and are not members of our parish. Uh, I took over blood drive management uh, around 2018 uh, as part of our ministry for the Knights of Columbus. Uh, and a couple things that we have learned uh, uh, and it's by trial and error. Uh, every time, though, I think we've had a little bit better success. And the number one thing is to have a good, we have our blood drives at the church. Uh, and I just can't emphasize enough for a council to have a good working relationship with their pastor. That is absolutely key that the that the pastor can see the good work that the knights do, and that you uh, and that you uh, are very cooperative with the pastor in what his needs are. Uh, the second thing is be we use our church, our church cafeteria, and our church gym. Be aware that the church has other commitments besides your blood drive, so you have to be flexible in. Uh, uh, scheduling. You have to be flexible in scheduling to be aware that they might have a basketball tournament that Saturday. Uh, they might have an art show that Saturday. And you have to be willing to uh, uh, bend your schedule a bit. Uh, to, uh, but you you want to have a partnership with with your school and your pastor. That's so key. Uh, the next thing, of course, is a good working relationship with your local Red Cross. We have had a tremendous uh, working relationship with the Fort Wayne Red Cross, which is among the premier uh, sites in Indiana. I think they have a very energetic blood drive director. Uh, he has been extremely helpful to us to schedule to try to schedule his drives around our. Uh, around our uh, openings that we have in our parish. Uh, so uh, that's the second thing. The and final thing is publicity, publicity, publicity. Uh, we make a point of every eight of uh, every uh, eight weeks try having a blood drive. 
So that's about, uh, well, we have about four per year, about four per year, because we don't do one during the summer months, but uh, we're going to uh, have four per year. And we have a very good cadre of parishioners who donate every eight weeks. So we make a thing in the bulletin, a little announcement in the bulletin. Don't forget, save your arms. Blood drive is coming up in four weeks, five weeks, uh, three weeks. And then thanks to the generosity of our pastor, I'm able to make an announcement uh, at every mass the, uh, uh, the the week before our blood drive where we take actual uh, uh, sign-ons at that time. So it, it's a real it's a real good working relationship. And I should also say we have a tremendous number of knights who are willing to volunteer uh, at the blood drive, uh, giving out uh, sodas, uh, uh, making sure people are uh, set in the right place so that it just goes like clockwork, just goes like clockwork. Well, I know one of the challenges that a lot of councils are, are it seems like it's a slow process, but one of the challenges is uh, engaging with uh, uh, um, social media. Uh, I know you guys, uh, you're talking about building awareness and uh, publicity. Uh, are you guys using social media? Yes, we have our own Facebook page, have our own Facebook page. We uh, make a commitment to the to email uh, every Red Cross, uh, every St. Charles usual blood donor, uh, 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 notifying them of upcoming blood drives so that they can make sure to sign in at the Red Cross site. Uh, and we give a lot of publicity post drive with photos of, of, of pictures of people who, who want their picture taken uh, to show the success. Success breeds success. I think that's that's like you get a buzz about your activities. Sure, sure. What, what is your typical turnout? We've been able to get they give us 90 slots and, and St. Charles fills 85 of those. Phil's wow. 85 of those. So um, now not, not everybody, that means 85 people show up, which the Red Cross feels is, is great. And out of those, there'll be about 10 deferrals for, so we're, we, we give up, we, we get about 70, 70 units every drive, 70. And what the Red Cross says is tremendous. A lot of return customers. Yes, that, that's the key. We have a cadre of wonderful eight, every eight weeks, Red Cross blood donors at St. Charles. And now they're into the rhythm of it. So this is the place where they give every eight weeks. Wow, that's uh, that's fantastic. Have you been approached by have you been approached by other councils? Because it seems when a model works at one council, that undoubtedly what I push for is is if you have a successful program, let's get that going. You know, somewhere else. Let, let's let's really push this. Uh, I wish I could say yes. We haven't. Uh, we have a very active and good uh, district district deputy, uh, Ed Walchman, as you as you said, who uh, attempts to show what what works and what hasn't worked among all the the the, the councils in our district. Uh, so we're we're certainly open. Uh, uh, Four fifty one. Myself and my my fellow. Uh, a blood drive uh, court project manager, Dennis Holper, more than willing to come to any council uh, to go over what strategies we've had that worked, as well as the Red Cross field director who is here, who's always anxious to set up another blood drive. Now, do you get help and volunteers from, from other councils helping out? We do not. We It's pretty much, it's strictly a St. Charles 451 uh, drive and volunteers from our, from our, from our group. Okay. Uh, is there expectation? I mean, do people know it's that that, that time's coming? Do you get a lot of questions of people saying, we, "Hey, we, when's the next one?" Well, you are exactly right. We do that now that we've developed sort of a cycle, a sort of a cycle, and people will be saying, "Oh, when is the next one coming?" I'll 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 make sure to reserve my arm for it because and not donate uh, in in another place. And that's what what is creating a buzz 
about, about routine or standardized drives that you'll have at your parish, you, you get people used to it. And that's what makes it so successful. That's super. Now, do you have any advice? I know we have a lot of knights who listen to the show and we have a lot of parishioners uh, throughout the state that, that listen. Uh, any advice if they say, hey, you know, I heard Tom on uh, Night Vision and he was talking about blood drives. Uh, where, where's a good place to start? Well, certainly I'd be more than happy to talk to any uh, uh, member of a council who, who would like advice on how we did it. Uh, uh, you can post my email at the end of this podcast, or I, I can give it to you. You know, I'm more than willing to talk anytime, day or night, because I'm pretty passionate about this. Uh, I would say uh, the location, location. So you have a, your your parishes, if your parish is big enough, and it doesn't require a massive amount of space to have a good blood drive. So you have a good working relationship with your parish, with the with the business administrator who can skit, who knows what's what the slots are open for your cafeteria or for your gym, and and then to literally talk in front of the parish about it, and so that you become the project manager or the face of blood drives. Well, as far as, as far as blood drives go, and uh, before we take a break, um, are you meeting the demand? I, I'm are sorry. You meet, are you meeting the demand as far as a uh, need in your area? Oh, I, I think I think it's you'll never you'll never meet all the demand that, that the Red Cross would like, you know. But we're doing our we're doing our best, remembering that every unit that you give actually helps three people because they break the blood down into three components: uh, red blood cells platelets and plasma. So every unit that you give helps three other people. That, that's, the, that's a very big selling point uh, for, for donors. You actually help three people, not just one, with every donation. That is, uh, that is outstanding. All right, don't go anywhere when we come back. Uh, Tom and I are going to talk about how, how listening, just listening sometimes to the sick can be a ministry uh, in and of itself. That's coming up next. It's one thing to say who you are. It's another to live it, to put your values into action. That's what we do at Knights of Columbus. We are Catholic men building a bridge back to faith. There is much work to be done in this world, good work, necessary work, and that's what the Knights do every day. That's who we are. Find your local council today and sign up to be part of our mission. Our recruitment drive is in full swing. For information, visit kfc.org forward slash join us. Do you have a question or a possible guest or feature idea? Have a comment or opinion on a feature you heard. Need more information on the Knights of Columbus and what we do? If so, Night Vision wants to hear from you. Drop us a line at radio at indianakfc.org. Radio at indianakfc.org. Share a comment and let us know what you think. Night Vision wants to help you and your family put your faith in action. Radio at indianakfc.org. Welcome back as we continue our chat with uh, Tom Ryan. Now, when I spoke to you prior to this interview, you told me that although your council hasn't had much experience visiting the sick as a, as a ministry, um, you have had a great deal of experience just simply talking and listening to patients. Um, can you tell me about that that connection and, and how important the role of just listening plays in that Sure. Um, I, I, I'll never forget a quote that was given to me in, in medical school. It was the, by the French my, my professor quoted the great uh, uh, French uh, philosopher Voltaire, who said that physicians uh, 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 treat diseases about which they know little with medications about which they know less to patients about whom they know nothing. Uh, he obviously was not a fan of doctors and uh, perhaps very justifiably so. And I think that it is just awful 
when you come in and the all all the all the patient sees is the doctor at his keyboard uh, of, of his computer who never even makes eye contact with the patient and all he's doing is typing in this and that whereas you just simply say tell me tell me what's wrong with you today tell me what's wrong and again i learned in medical school and it's true that if you really listen if you listen you you will have the diagnosis in 90% of cases before you even put your stethoscope on the patient's chest or draw any labs you you'll just get that skill of learning how how disease presents how disease presents with just what the patient says and i've i've really attempted in my practice life of now 45 years to to do that and i think it's becoming a lost art probably because of compression that that is put on doctors to see patients every 10 minutes every 15 minutes i i'm very fortunate the va where i currently work they give me half an hour and i thank the good lord for that uh however even in when i was uh, in civilian practice i would just see i would allow a lot a lot half an hour uh and i may not have made as, as much money but i certainly was able to diagnose a lot more disease I remember years ago, I was having uh, an issue, an indigestion issue, whatever the case was. And I went in to see my uh, my doctor. My regular doctor was unavailable. And they said, well, Dr. So-and-so is here. Uh, you know, do you want to see him? I, I said, well, certainly, because this is an issue. And I went in and um, uh, he looked at me. He uh, got on his laptop. He asked me uh, what my symptoms were, not how I was feeling. He asked me what my symptoms were, typed some stuff in, wrote me a prescription, and it, there was never a laying on of hands. He, he, I don't really, he didn't, not the, the stethoscope, he, he, he didn't do just this. And, wow. and I, I, was, I was shocked. And I said, well, why are you doing this? Because it turned out not being the issue that he had said that it was. And I said, well, what, well this is, that's how you present it. In 90% of the cases, this is how you presented it. But not once he, he made no eye contact with me. And um, I think that that, that that listening, and this goes not just for, for medicine and what we're talking about today. The key, I think, is, to, is just to listen and really listen and listen to learn and understand, not listen to respond. And so many times today, I think we constantly are already, we're already calculating in our minds how I'm going to respond to whatever it is that you're saying. That's very, very true. And in the case of, of many diseases, of many diseases, I'm not going to be able to cure their cancer. I'm not going to be able to solve their dementia, especially their, their patient's wife's dementia. But if you just provide a sounding board to let them know how they're grieving and how they're hurting, and you say, yes, okay, you know, it, it makes a big difference. It really, really does. Uh, I know it sounds somewhat of a cliche, but it really, really does based on my 45 years of experience. That is, uh, that, that is outstanding. And I'm, I'm hoping that people find some solace in, in this, uh, this discussion, knowing that uh, it is important and that it is important to a lot of physicians like yourself out there. I think it makes us better knights. I think it makes us better uh, human beings. Uh, it makes us a, a better... I hate to say race, but it makes us a better human race when we actually sit down and, and start listening. And, uh, you know, we could use that. We could use a lot of listening uh, in a lot of places around the world. I'm not going to get into a political discussion, but I just think that uh, if people would just, just sit down and, and listen to, uh, to understand. This has been fascinating, Tom. I have absolutely enjoyed this, uh, this conversation, and I look forward to, to many more. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to uh, take some time and talk with us today. 
Bob, we're uh, always available. Anything we can do to promote the nights and to promote the work of the Lord, uh, I'm in for. Uh, and uh, uh, if I, if anybody would like to know about blood drives, I will give whatever expertise I can. Uh, you'll have my my phone number and my email, always available. Uh, Viva Jesus, and I'm uh, delighted to have been of service. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, and God bless, Tom. Night Vision is a presentation of the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus and Catholic Radio Indy. Contributors for this episode include Scott Schuette, Walt Pahan, and Bob Zielinski. Night Vision is produced by Z Media Studios in South Bend, Indiana.